Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, How to Approach Liquid Biopsy in the Treatment of NSCLC, is provided by Agile. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from the healthcare business of Merck, KGAA, Darmstadt, Germany. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Lung cancer remains the most common cause of cancer-related mortality. This outcome is often related to its advanced stage at diagnosis, as well as the challenge to obtain sufficient initial or sequential tissue biopsy material to guide therapy. Recently, liquid biopsy has emerged as a less invasive approach than tissue biopsy, and its application in non-small cell lung cancer continues to grow. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Mark Sosinski. Joining me today is Dr. Ming So to discuss the role of liquid biopsy in non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. So, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. So for many years, Ming, we, we have always looked at tissue as kind of the gold standard for not only histopathologic diagnosis, but also for molecular testing. And I wonder if you could just explain to us kind of the advantages and disadvantage of liquid biopsy compared to tissue biopsy in patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer. As you just said that, you know, the standard is a tissue biopsy, and we can do a lot of molecular testing on the tissue biopsy but uh, tissue biopsy does take some time. Sometimes it, it takes some time to arrange to do the procedure, and there is some risk with it. But with the liquid biopsy, of course, it's much simpler to take blood from patients, and then it, it's, uh, it can be done much more so of a, a shorter turnaround time to get the results. But there are some uh, pitfalls with the liquid biopsies, and particularly, I think, in some of the, uh, there is some data good data showing that, in fact, it has a less sensitivity. That means that for some uh, genes, it can only have a sensitivity of approximately 80%, for example, T790M, EGFR T790M uh, mutations. On the other hand, also there is some advantage with liquid biopsy because it can cover so tumor heterogeneity. For example, if you biopsy, you only biopsy one of the lesions but if that lesion does not have the mutation, then you will miss it. And, and liquid biopsy basically, or a cell-free DNA in circulating DNA, uh, collect uh, you know, the whole uh, tumor, so DNA coming from the tumor, the whole body. And so uh, sometimes you can detect in the blood better than in the tissue. So I think considering between whether you do a liquid biopsy or the tissue biopsy, you have to, to actually consider the setting where you want to do it. And then, for example, in the, in the initial diagnosis or, or molecular testing, or in, in the setting of uh, so, uh, patient uh, recurrence. Yeah, so we have you know, NCCN guidelines and other guidelines that t tell us what we should be measuring. I wonder if you, you could comment on the use of liquid biopsies. You know, I think that the, the, the one that is the most uh, sort of uh, used right now for, for detecting the uh, in the liquid biopsy or is uh, the point mutation. For example, the T790M uh, resistant mutation when patient progress on EGFR TKI. So, uh, for example, the other biomarker, for example, ARC and ROS1 and RAD, I think the clinical utility for as a resistant mut 
uh, mechanism, I think, is still not clear. That's why I say I think the clinical utility or, you know, the, the evidence that, in fact, using the liquid biopsy result for the other type of mutations and to, to guide treatment is not as, uh, as uh, I think, uh, not robust at this time. For instance, in the ALK population, uh, we make our first-line choice, and then when patients become resistant to, to this, it's controversial as to how informative retesting is, whether it's a tissue biopsy or whether it's a, a, a liquid biopsy. And of course, when we go to conditions like ROS1 and BRAF and others, you know, I think as you point out, the data seems to be, um, you know, in evolution. We've seen some recent liquid biopsy results in patients who have progressed on osimertinib. And um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, unlike the first, second generation agents where we had a dominant T790M acquired resistance mechanism, the patterns of resistance, at least in the early studies from osimertinib, are much more complex. One of the things that has emerged from that is that the, the MET amplification seems to be a bit higher in frequency, but then it's only probably tw roughly 25% to 30% of the patients in that, in that setting. And then the other uh, point mutation has been this C797S mutation, although we don't necessarily have a good clinical strategy if we detect that at the current time. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Mark Sassinski, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ming So on the growing role of liquid biopsy in non-small cell lung cancer. One of the interesting things is the MET alteration or amplification that, that, that we see, and there have been some interesting trials incorporating various MET inhibitors in this setting. And again, I, I, I don't know that it's, I would consider it a standard of care, but certainly there is some degree of optimism about uh, potentially that being a strategy that could be defined based on um, molecular testing. Do you have any comments about uh, retesting in this space? Yeah, so I think that uh, at this time, I think we do know that there are two kind of a methods of genes uh, alteration that appears to be sensitive to the small molecule MET inhibitors that has been developed. One is the uh, the MET amplifications, MET gene amplification. The other one is the MET uh, exon 14 uh, splice site mutation that uh, give rise to an alternate splice form, which actually missing the, the protein actually receptor missing a, a domain or a, a amino acid sequence that actually is involved in the degradation of the MET. So the MET becomes very high uh, level and uh, at the expression level. And uh, that actually MET inhibitors appears to be having a, an activity, right? In either, uh, in the, in the, in the sort of, uh, treatment knives of, uh, uh, of uh, patients or uh, after, after the uh, progression from uh, EGFRTK. In the latter sort of a situation, I think it's more the met amplification. Yes, yeah, not, yes, not, not so much the mutations, but the amplification. Yes, yes. And historically, there was some early data looking at the MET inhibitor that is on the market now, that is crizotinib. And there was some activity, but at ASCO this year, we saw some early data on two MET inhibitors, both uh, capmatinib as well as 
to Potanib. These were first-line as well as second-line studies. They were phase two trials. Patients were selected for MET-exon-14 deletion mutations, and they were selected both by by tissue biopsy as well as by liquid biopsy. And, you know, we saw in this setting with these drugs response rates of in the 60 to 70 percent range, some durability of response, uh, both in first as well as second line setting. And these drugs, like most of the TKIs, they uh, do have toxicity, but most of the toxicity is related to uh, or or is is, uh, grade one or two. Uh, with very low rates of grade three or four toxicity. So I think, again, MedExon 14 should be included in the initial testing. I think from testing point of view, uh, I think uh, one has to be careful using what is the platforms uh, or the testing platform. Uh, for example, next generation sequencing, what's the panel that one uses, that it should include the MET and in fact includes the introns before the exon 14 so you can detect the mutations. The other thing is that in terms of the exon 14s of splice site mutations, uh, there is some evidence, in fact, it suggests it's more frequent in this uh, called uh, sarcomatoid uh, carcinoma. So that's from the pathologist's point of view, that's a very interesting because we, when we see that diagnosis, we definitely would like to do the testing. I still think, uh, obviously, as a pathologist, you probably agree that histopathology is still important. Yes, uh, uh, yes. I was just going to raise something else about the liquid biopsy versus the tissue biopsy, even in the post-EGFR TKI or post-ARC in, uh, inhibitor, RT-ARC TKI uh, therapy progression that, in fact, we see this small cell transformation. And that, at this time, we can only detect by tissue biopsy, by by histology, right? Yeah, clinicians should be aware of the uh, possibility of small cell transformation, particularly in the EGFR mutation-positive population. You know, we always uh, think that uh, if you have rapid progression, which is typical of small cell, then liquid uh, uh, biopsy testing is is not adequate. You need to do a tissue biopsy for histopathology uh, and then act act accordingly uh, in that setting. So I think that's a very good pearl. And the other pearl from a histopathology point of view is that there seems to be a higher rate of ALK fusion and signet ring adenocarcinoma in the lung. So so that's another a kind of pearl that I that that we talk a lot of, about in our tumor boards and, and those sorts of things. So this has been a fascinating discussion, Dr. So. Is there anything you would like to revisit or key takeaways you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah, I think that we are moving into the uh, era where uh, liquid biopsy is gaining uh, not only a foothold but also I think becoming more and more so of uh, mainstream in terms of uh, biomarker testing. Uh, there are still some issues with the liquid biopsy in terms of compared to the tissue biopsy in terms of sensitivity and also standardizations of the assays, but it, it has uh, many advantages also. For example, uh, so less invasive and a faster turnaround time and also uh, covering the heterogeneity. Yeah, but, but lung, as you well know, you, that's a great point. Uh, lung cancer has become very complicated in comprehensive genomic testing is part of our standard workup uh, nowadays. And I think it's important that clinicians understand the uh, limitations and pitfalls of both tissue biopsy as well as, um, as well as liquid biopsy so they can make sure 
that if a patient has an oncogenic driver, that they make that diagnosis either from tissue or blood. Well, as we uh, wrap up our discussion, I'd like to thank uh, my guest, Dr. So, for helping us better understand the growing role of liquid biopsy in non-small cell lung cancer. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Agile and is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck KGAA, Darmstadt, Germany. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.